The time has come. I like that. The time is now for Victoria Stilwell's Positively Podcast. She's a world-renowned dog trainer. Seen enough dogs today, have you? She's the host of It's Me or the Dog. I'm coming to train you. Along with co-host Holly Ferver. You don't play around with that name, do you? I am a fan of sweaty balls. She's Victoria Stilwell, and she's ready to go. This is a lovely way to start the day. You get the busy bee. I need to trim her whiskers. I see some poo here. I feel a little bit better now because I'm the only one who usually feels stupid during the podcast. Now, let's head to the studio and get this Positively Podcast started. Hello everybody, welcome to the podcast. I am very excited today because I have a special guest all the way from the United Kingdom. His name is Andrew Hale and he's here to talk about the UK Charter. And before you go, well, what does that mean? I'm going to read a little bit to you about how this is revolutionizing the dog training industry in the United Kingdom. Um, And so... You, you have to stay on and listen, because even if you're not interested in the charter, you have to listen to what this guy says. He has so much knowledge. He has so many amazing things to tell you about animal behavior. And so we're going to have a great conversation here. Um, his name is Andrew Hale. He is a certified animal behaviorist, and he follows a dog-centered care approach. He works, he's right up my alley, works with empathy and compassion to try to understand why a dog is exhibiting behaviors and to recognize that dealing with dog behavior can be very challenging and that he works hard to support the person and to support the dog throughout the process. So he is a certified member and trustee of the Association of Interdogs, and um, he is also one of the incredible brains behind the UK Dog Charter. So what is the UK Dog Charter? Well, um, traditionally, like in most countries, the dog behavior and training industry is unregulated. Um, And certainly in the UK, The industry is made up of various membership organizations that work to their own codes and they act independently from each other. So this year, and it's just been released, my organization, the SPDT, which is Victoria Stillwell Positively Job Training, linked and joined up with some other organizations in the UK that are progressive organizations as we follow a more humane methodology when it comes to teaching and training dogs and people. And we came together to address the needs for self-regulation and improvement of dog welfare in the industry. And so the charter was proposed as a model to bring together organizations behind a shared vision of standards and accountability for the sector. So we formed in April 2020, and we've signed up, myself and other organizations have signed up Um, to a common values of welfare. This is like a collaborative approach to the many challenges that lie ahead for the industry, and it includes regulation, welfare, and supportive individual practitioners. Andrew, I was reading a little bit from, from our website there, but I wanted to get it right. Welcome to the podcast, and I'm very excited to have you on to talk about the charter, to talk about the industry as a whole, 
and to talk about dog training as a whole and where we need to get to, where we are and where we need to get to. So thank you. Oh, hi, Victoria. Thank you so much for having me along. And uh, it's great to see you. And um, I do enjoy our chats. Uh, so uh, I, th I think how we're going to get all this in, in half an hour, I don't know, but um, we'll see. Maybe we could do a part two sometime. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, uh, yeah, far away. Ask me what you want to know about the charter and we'll, we'll talk Well, as, a, as an organisation that has signed this charter, I'm very proud to be involved. And um, the Victoria Civil Positively Dog Trainers, they have gone through excessive um, an excessive application process to become part of VSPDT. There is uh, accountability as well, being a VSPDT member, where you do sign to a set of core values and, um, and methodologies under the positive training umbrella, where we do not allow um, our members to be using things that either devices or methods that could harm a dog cause, uh, be intimidating, cause fear, and um, where we, we all subscribe to the same set of values. And so there is accountability for every member that's part of the VSPT so that when owners, when they um, try and find a dog trainer, they know that VSPDT trainers are, are what they say they are because the reason why we set it up, obviously, as you know, and we're going to talk about is the industry is unregulated. Anybody can set themselves up to be a dog trainer. And when that person brings that person into their home to work with that family member, um, then it's either, it can either be very good or it can either be very bad. Yeah, and I think um, when, we, when we look at the history in the UK, I think it's probably the same in the, in the US as well. You know, we've had discussions going on for over a decade, really, trying to find ways to look at uh, regulation or self-regulation, trying to find ways to bring organizations behind common goals and, and get some collaborative working going. One of the reasons that hasn't worked is because of what I call mixed cultures. So when you have organizations <clears throat> that adopt or support different methodologies and tools and have a different idea around what is the standard regarding professional conduct, it can be really hard to square that circle. So one of the things behind the charter project from the get-go really was a recognition that we have to start by drawing a line in the sand regarding methodologies, tools, and professional conduct, and make sure we have the progressive organizations that are already on that page, because that way we can start to look at getting that collaboration and consensus about where we move to. And, and I think this is important, you know, methodologies, especially is the biggest thing to cause a, an argument on, on Facebook or social media. And this is because we're stuck in the same narrative that we've had for, for the last God knows how long, really, which is regarding behavior being the problem. You know, as a species, us humans, we're, we're obsessed with judging behavior. So we like to see behavior on a continuum of good to bad. Uh, and that's how we see it. So when you start thinking, oh, that's bad behavior, that's naughty behavior, and we start to have that operant bias, which is, okay, we must change that behavior. So then when we have that discussion, we are left with two ways of looking about how we might change that behavior, either more historical, traditional, punitive methods, because we're just going to kind of make sure the dog or the animal doesn't do it again, because they're going to be, you know, we can suppress the behavior. But even using positive reinforcement, which is using it in a more positive way, we still have to be mindful 
that we're not just trying to get a behavior that we find more appropriate and we're not addressing the actual relief that the dog needs from the emotional drive that triggered it and this is the big thing for me this is what i would say uh and, and i i try, try and look at things from a as neutral place as possible i've got a human psychology background and it's interesting to me back in my human psychology days this debate just isn't there anymore you know it's recognized that behavior is emotionally driven and consequence led that's important because we learn stuff about how did how did that did that work for me or didn't it but we are still stuck a little bit in the dog world with the consequence bit uh, and this is the reality what we've got to do the science is important we talk about the science a lot and the charter looks as that as a reference. So I'll bring this back to the charter in a second. We as an industry have to be led by the science. Um, we don't have to be defined by it. I think that's important. We have to be led by it because there's a lot of science that still hasn't been done yet. And it's up to us as an industry to help our science colleagues to think about where that science should be looking at to get the more information that we need. But the science that we need, that we are being led by is the science of neurology and physiology. It's recognizing a bit more all the time, we're learning a bit more about that animal's experience. And when you start recognizing the animal's experience and you start changing narratives, so uh, stopping shifting that narrative from a, a describing behavior as a noun and looking at more as an adjective, uh, as in what's actually happening, rather than just saying, oh, this dog's bad, or this dog's naughty, or this dog's aggressive. This is why on our side of doing things, we are so passionate regarding empathy and compassion because we're thinking about the dog's experience. So um, this is why for me, the debates regarding the heavier use of the hard, hardcore reversives. When you understand the dog's experience, when you recognize that that behavior is just an expression of that dog's emotional state, it can never be right. It just can't. If your own narrative, only narrative is to stop the behavior, then fair enough, that's what it does. Great, it works, it works, we'd say that. And again, if you're looking at results based purely on whether that behavior goes away temporarily, then it works, of course. But it, I can tell you now, it doesn't work for the animal because the only way that they could communicate their emotional state was through that behavior that we've now just shut down and suppressed. So I think this is why it's really important with through the charter that all the organizations that we have on board at the moment, we have eight really well-known, reputable organizations who have put their commercial interests to one side to join together in a cooperative around making a clear statement. This has never been done like this. It, it has been done in smaller ways. But when you look at the wording in the charter, I'll come on to that in a second regarding methodologies, tools, and professional conduct, it is a really clear signal. If there is no gray, it is very clear. And what we've done is we've referenced the Animal Welfare Act, which we're very lucky to have in the UK. Doesn't go far enough, but it goes a lot further than most countries actually, the Animal Welfare Act. And there's two very important parts of the Animal Welfare Act. One is uh, the reference to unnecessary suffering. And the second is the reference to good practice. The problem is as an industry, we haven't actually um, put any definition around that in relation to our industry. Now we have. So we, we are setting out a very clear vision for the industry here. Um, one of the things that has been said over here regarding the charter is why do we need another organization? The charter is not an organization. 
the charter itself is a um, is a document. It's our guide. It's a guiding principle regarding what we see as a vision for the dog industry in the UK, focusing on methodologies, tools, and professional conduct. We also have a symbol, our charter tick symbol, which is a way to let the public know that the person they are employing is CHEP supported and monitored by a reputable organisation that is beholden to those values that are in the charter. But most importantly, as an extra level, we have an independent oversight committee made of really eminent, respectable people who are not directly connected to the industry, to the organisations, so that there is that accountability. And at the moment, it's confusing because, you know, you're a big name, Victoria. A lot of people know about Victoria. They know about Victoria's um, uh, your organisations, but not everybody does. This is the point. You know, people get they might have heard of uh, VSPDT, they might have heard of IMDT, they might have heard of Interdogs. At the moment, or, or historically, this has led to some confusion for the general public because there's all these different organisations all saying we're the best. The good thing about the charter is it puts that to one side and it's saying actually for the public, look out for this tick. This tick gives you some assurances. Uh, so that's what's really important. If there for the US audience that are listening to this, a tick is um, what he's talking about is a check. So a check mark. Check mark. Sorry. Yeah. Check mark. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's that kind of. So it's, it's a nice, simple symbol. Uh, and uh, we. Um, historically, on the progressive side of the industry, there is probably about five or 10 percent of stuff that we don't agree on necessarily or that we need to work more towards to find that common common ground. And that's what everybody's focused on. They've always focused on that. Myself and others, we thought, well, what about the 90 percent that we all agree on that we are all really passionate about? Let's start with that. Let's start with that 90 percent. And it's been great. And, you know, to have organisations like yourself on board from the get go, uh, it was it was it's a big ask when you think about it for organisations who have been historically a little bit um, uh, a little bit uh, nervous around other organisations. And when we think about the commercial aspect of organisations, even even association based ones, we've managed to find that way through and people have literally put those to one side so that we can think about the welfare of the dogs. And, and this, I don't mean this in a patronising way, but we, we've kind of, we kind of needed to grow up as an industry a bit. We kind of needed to kind of just get a bit professional about it. A hundred percent, a hundred percent, because I think, you know, when you're building a business, when you're building an organisation, you're not going to agree with everything uh, that other organisations do, but we're all really working uh, towards a common goal, which is, which is called it's animal welfare, welfare for the dogs in training and also, uh, and, and helping owners right and so and and putting the emphasis on not just teaching the dog but helping people as well and being that support system for people the question i want to ask you is that clearly um that there has been i mean there's been a lot of support and uh, uh, people are very excited especially in the uk because now this is making it easier for people to choose the right kind of trainer in their area for them but what do you say to some of the criticism out there that says, well, you're actually being almost isolationist, as in you are not, you're, you're, you are putting standards there which don't include us because we're an organization that does believe in using shot collars or 
even though that we you know there's a shock collar ban, but um, or, or we do believe in using a choke collar, or we do have a different methodology. Yet you're not you're not including us, so therefore you're putting yourselves on a different level. What do you say to what do you say to that to begin with? And then I have another question. Cool. The um, this is the important thing. Uh, on a, on a, on a more wider point, anybody can sign up to the charter. So it's not so it's not exclusive. It's not um, it's not elitist. If you as an organisation can subscribe to the guiding principles of that very simple but very effective charter document, you can join. And yes, there is always going to be, the thing is that, that what you just said there is, is a, a good example of the discussions that go on in our industry all the time. Uh, and, 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 we, and we can continue having those discussions, that's fine. But from a charter point of view, we are making a very clear line now about what we think the future direction of the industry is. Not just now, not just next month, not just next year, but for decades to come. We have the science behind us. We have the uh, politics behind us. And I think we have the public behind us. You know, uh, the shock collar ban in the UK, in England, has been a bit, uh, it's a bit kind of grey. Uh, and But a lot of the general public now are looking to, to find professionals who don't use those tools. So, uh, you know, we, could, we can continue having the debate. The charter itself, you know, I, I can talk as an individual practitioner and I can happily talk about it all day. The, but as, as a coordinator of the charter, we're making that clear definition because we have to move on. You know, when I think about my time in human psychology, when I first started back in the late 80s, early 90s, we still had the remnants over here in the UK of the Borstal system. These were disadvantaged young people, often with mental health problems, treated like criminals because of their behavior and put into institutions where they were just punished for that behavioral output. We just don't do that now. We recognize there is more to it than that. You know, uh, back in the day, we used to drill holes in the back of people's skulls to let the, the demons out. We don't do that either. And this is the point I think we have to think about if we're gonna have empathy and compassion and step into the animal's experience, we as professionals have to lead that. You as a, as a public figure, Victoria, you know, um, You've done so much and you've put yourself out there and you've taken the flack that comes with it. But you know what? Individual practitioners do in their own way as well. In their own little community, they're trying to do right by the dog when others are trying to put them down. The old member organization structure, just working in isolation, wasn't working for individual practitioners. They were being, the, the, the charter seeks to support those who seek to do right by the dog. Uh, so is, this is why it is kind of non-negotiable and, and, and it is hard, isn't it? And this is why it's a brave thing to do because we've tried squaring that circle historically. We've tried to find a, that middle ground. But when you have mixed cultures, you can't because ultimately it is the welfare that will suffer. And interestingly, the other criticism of the charter is that it doesn't go far enough. But this is important because... We have actually found some middle ground. It's right at the beginning of this project. It is an organic living project. It is not a crusty old organization that's creaking at the seams. It is living, it's dynamic. We had to start somewhere and we thought, you know what, the welfare of the dog is a great place to start. 
and that's what we've done and we intend to build this up because the only way any project will work when we think about either self-regulation or things we're looking for the industry to look at industry-led solutions to industry-based challenges that is through collaboration and consensus we now have eight organizations uh, soon to be 10 hopefully in the next month or two and it's just going to keep building and we can really do so much more with the project then because we have the forum the cooperative forum for collaboration and consensus so you know. I, I when i said i'm excited to have you on you know now i hope that people can understand why but i'm also uh, I, i'm excited for the future of our industry because you know there's there are in all of us, whether we have a more public platform or whether we work in our community and that is our platform, we're all, we are all working towards the same goal. And, and that's why that this question has been out there for so long and especially here in the United States as well, the, uh, different organizations are trying to come together have been trying to come together for actually quite a few years now and are getting stuck in the minutiae of uh, words and what things mean and um, with no success. Little bits, but nothing definitive. And that's why the charter, I think, could be is, is a game changer and something that can be used in the United States and not just in, in the UK. There could be a, 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 a charter that's set up in this country too that is, that is similar. So um, I love the format of it. Um, can I just divert a little way from it? It's still obviously relevant, but we've been talking about progressive and we've been talking about uh, welfare. One of the things that I've noticed is that Trainers that do follow more, you know, that, that do subscribe to science and do ha have a more sort of humane methodology when they are teaching dogs and people um, uh, are often criticized for not dealing with or being able to deal with the more, as I, and I put this, I'm doing quotation marks with my hands, the more red zone dogs, the dogs that have real behavior problems. And again, this is just from what I've heard, uh, people label it that they have very, they've got very aggressive dogs and that the progressive industry are more likely to say that those dogs should be euthanized and put down rather than the more punitive uh, side of the industry that says, no, we're the ones that take those dogs and we're the ones that can save those dogs. So actually by doing something that, uh, you know, that, that we actually don't follow all of that, that, that we don't subscribe to all of that, it's actually going to put dogs' lives in danger. Um, I know what the answer to that is, but could you give me your opinions on that argument? Yeah, so... This comes back to narratives again. So if the owner, if the general consensus, the general zeitgeist is that somehow these dogs behaviors, that the extent of that behavioral response is the problem in itself. And that the only way that we can reduce that behavior, stop that behavior is by using such high level aversives that the dog's fear of giving the behavior Remember, we're very clear about what's happening here. The dog's fear to give the behavior is greater than the, than the need to give the behavior. So the fear of the punisher is greater than the desire to give the behavior. 
then that discussion will continue. The thing is by recognizing the emotional drive to behavior, that that dog, the most important word for me, Victoria, this is my opinion, this is my opinion, the most important word in the psychology of behavior is the word relief. When we are in, when a dog is in such a state that they're, that they are dangerous, that there is a huge threat level, there is, a, there is a, 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 an integral relief that that dog is seeking. Now we can either take it that we're just going to focus on that dog's behavior, period, uh, and we will do whatever we need to do to stop that dog's behavior. And what we've got to remember, by the way, is a lot of these dogs who have heavy uh, methods done to them, like using shock collars, they are often having to have the shock collar used virtually all the time. Uh, so that means that dog is actually, we might not be seeing the behavior, but that dog is stuck in a world of pressure release, pressure release all the time. It's nowhere to live. But also a lot of the trainers, the professionals who work with these dogs, the owners are really happy because the dog's behavior at the time has changed, but that trainer isn't around down the line. I'm just going to share a little story with you. A little story very quickly. Sorry, I'm waffling on a bit here. Um, uh, I worked with a, a Rottweiler, Rottweiler uh, cross, a couple of years ago. And the dog used to growl and lunge at children. They got a local trainer in who used a shock collar on that dog. The dog's behavior changed straight away. The owners were really happy. They left a five star review. Brilliant. All happy. Ten months later, it took ten months until the dog bit a child. I used to be the uh, behavioral consultant for the local RSPCA, which is a kind of UK uh, welfare um, organization. So I get called in then because the dog has a destruction order against it, even though when it did bite the child, it did limited damage. So this is the reality. When that shock collar was used, all that was being said to that dog was, I don't wanna see that behavior from you. I don't care how you feel. I'm not interested in your experience. I just want you to not do that around children. And it was an inevitability because it, the real problem, which was that dog's emotional load around children had not been addressed. So this is just the reality of it, Victoria, that's it. So when we think about these red zone dogs then, and to be honest, since the charter started, uh, as the coordinator of the charter, I've had a fair bit of mail come through from people saying that we are basically signing the death warrant to all these dogs. This is another reason why we've got to change the narrative. Using tools and methodologies is one thing. This narrative that comes with it is dangerous and it is failing dogs left, right and center. I would sooner uh, be looking, but when we think about some of these red zone dogs, we have to think about that dog's experience. We have to think about what they're experiencing around the trigger, how they're experiencing things generally. A lot of the time these dogs have a physiological problem. They're either something mechanical with pain, but more often than not, in my experience, something to do with their nervous system. There is a nervous system physiology that's going on. Uh, and uh, a lot of these dogs who are having horrendous adverses done to them, they're already in pain and discomfort. This is why they cannot cope. When you think of a dog that has got to that red zone area, something has gone really wrong here for this dog. And we have to have empathy and compassion. When I think back to those young men, invariably, that were part of the Borstal system in the UK, Something had gone very wrong for those young men. And as a society, we would just punish them. Now, when I was working in the late 80s, early 90s, I was working with people who were victims, and I'll use that word 
properly of the borstal system back in the 1960s and 70s who had been shut down so they had the short sharp shock so they wouldn't do it again but the real issues their childhood abuse their uh, illiteracy their socioeconomic problems none of that had been addressed so i don't anthropomorphize here because we're humans i get that but you know we are all mammals and uh, when you think about what a dog experiences neurologically physiologically and hormonally we share so much. We just happen to have a big thinking brain. That means that we can moderate our behavior better. So when somebody really irritates you, you kind of don't bop them on the nose. You're not supposed to anyway. The reason, we, the reason we don't is because we can moderate ourselves. A bit. We can do that. But um, uh, so what our dogs think about, who knows, but as a fellow mammal, as an empathy, uh, uh, employing empathy and compassion, we kind of know what it feels like to be scared, nervous, excited, frustrated, all these kind of things. We know what it feels to not have choices, not have options. We know what it feels like to be in pain and discomfort. We know what it feels like to not be able to give consent. This is really big at the moment with a lot of stuff that's going on politically. Huge. So I would say to our colleagues on the other side of the fence, and one thing to remember here, this is very important, I do not doubt for one minute that they have the welfare of the dog in their mind when they're doing these things. I, 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 I believe that many of them genuinely feel they are helping, but please just do a bit more education regarding neurology and physiology and it will change you. I wrote um, something, I don't know whether you've seen it, Victoria, I wrote a blog called The Phantom of the Opera. I'll share it with you and you can share it. Yes, which please. is looking this thing about, you know, we've got to, acknowledge the experience of the animal now we have to because the science is there it's been there for a while but we've got to start joining the dots you know a friend of yours and, and mine uh, sarah fisher what a wonderful amazing person amazing she's been hang on this is not just about that behavioral output there is way more that goes on before that behavior even starts so coming back then i'm waffling again Victoria, with that but when we think back to the um these red zone dogs there is a history there is a physiology that leads up to that moment and we ignore it at our peril and if we genuinely have the welfare of the animal at heart we have to look at that i we're we're a quick fix society we want yeah. quick fixes and unfortunately that demeans the dog's emotional experience and can lead to dangerous behavior down the line a false sense of security i think as well for people that do um, employ trainers that come in and use these methods that are really focused on suppression and not truly changing the experience for the dog for the better. Um, Andrew, we're, we've, we've come to the end of the podcast. Yeah. But I, you have to come back again and I would like to do part two. Great, I'm up so, there. If you could come back in a couple of weeks and um, we can talk more about this because I do have so many more questions that I want to ask and things that I'd like to talk about when it comes to dog behavior and experience and from your human psychology experience to, to, and how that has complemented your work with dogs. And, um, I would also like to maybe have some, we get questions on the podcast all the time. So please, if anybody has any questions, um, please write in and um, maybe we can answer those questions, Andrew, at a later podcast. But thank you so much. If you 
And I'm going to put you on the spot here. If you had two pieces of advice for dog owners, if they have a behavior prop, they, a dog that has a behavior, and again, I put in quotation marks problem because if behavior is not a problem for dogs. It's just, it's behavior. It's that, it's that, that, that emotional reaction to that biological and emotional reaction to the environment. Um, what should they do? Okay. I'm going to waffle a little bit here very quickly. Okay, so um, I get it. I get the fact that most dog behavioral issues that are problematic are because they also affect the emotional response of the owner. So I get it. So, so what I would say to everybody is allow yourself to slow things down for your dog. Allow yourself the chance to actually think about the context and the nature of the behavior you're having. Because that will give you, you're almost halfway there already. Because if you see the behavior as the problem, you will end up having a narrative which will look at trying to fix the problem. If you allow yourself to think, right, okay, Rover tends to do this at this certain time, and that is the trigger for Rover, i.e., for example, seeing another dog. Maybe it's something about how Rover feels when he sees another dog. And we're just coming backwards a bit from the behavior because that's invariably where the answers are. And also for us as professionals, changing narratives is the most important thing for me. Managing expectations and changing narratives. Because uh, for the owner, I call them carers. So even there, I'm changing yeah, the narrative. Yeah. I'm saying, yeah, I'm a carer. And uh, rather than using the term reactive, I say, you've got a sensitive dog. You know, your dog's pretty sensitive. And they will see it. And most owners, carers, they will see it. But yes, slow things down. Allow yourself to just have a period of time where you can connect with your dog's experience. Because that is the thing to, that's invariably where we need to start looking at. We've got to lose this narrative of making the, the behavior the problem. If people want to find out more about the charter, where would they go? Okay, so uh, the website, we could perhaps put this up somewhere with one of the links, but uh, the, the, we've got a website, www.ukdogcharter.org. We also have a Facebook page, uh, which uh, I don't know off the top of my head, so perhaps we could put that in the links. Yes, go and make it, Yeah, and then we're going to be doing all the announcements for that. Um, the charter is brand new uh, and I'm really excited Victoria about how we can see this build over the months and years and um, and like you say maybe it's something that other countries might think there's something in this model because we, we've tried to do something in an, and actually it's a very non it's a very um, it's very uncontroversial really what we've actually put together here uh, and uh, yeah so maybe it might get adopted elsewhere who knows from my um, point of view, the UK is enough. Yes, <laughs> yes, enough. yeah. We've got a lot to do. You've got a lot of work on your hands. So, yeah. um, well, thank you so much for joining me, Andrew. And uh, hopefully in a couple of weeks' time, you'll be back and we can talk more about dog behavior. We can geek out. Because Excellent. we have such wonderful listeners and uh, they've been following the podcast for years and years and years. So we love to talk about uh, all kinds of behavior and also give people some real great tools that they can use to, to help their dogs to live in harmony with them and uh, and so that they can be the de best dog carers possible. So thank you so much, Andrew. Take care of yourself. And thanks, yeah, guys, for listening to the podcast. We so appreciate you uh, spending a little time, whether you're listening on your dog walk or you're cleaning the house or you're just hanging out. Thank you so much for listening again. What a great episode this has been. And Andrew Hale, 
You are wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to Victoria Stillwell's Positively Podcast. For more information, visit Positively.com. Get connected on Facebook and YouTube as Victoria Stillwell or follow her on Twitter at Victoria S. Be sure to tune in next time as Victoria helps to change dogs' lives positively. Positively.